What is up, everybody? Hey, everybody. How's it going today? From the hill. Coming in hot again. Saturday, <laughs> February 10th. Swag's here with you. Profits on the ones and twos. Prop, How's how you feeling today? I'm feeling good. I'm ready to get going. We're running a little bit behind today, so we're going to get a good one in. We're going to be coming in extra hot. I mean, so hot today, it's crazy. So, Prof, a lot of stuff to talk about. Going to have a lot of fun. Prof, you know Johnny Manziel still hasn't tweeted back at me. He hasn't responded to my tweets. It surprises me. Well, dude, you know, I'm such a huge fan. I think maybe you insulted him last week on the show. He, probably, I think he clicked on it, and he's like, you know what? Screw these guys. He's probably out on a bender. See, you keep doing it. Why you keep doing it? I don't so, know. You know what I saw, actually, for Johnny? So I saw him tweet at a, a show maybe a little bit more popular than ours. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, part of my take. You ever heard of that show? No. Yeah, that's the Barstool sports guy, Big Cat. Oh, no. Yeah. See, you're all in the bar. I, I haven't found Barstool yet. Well, Johnny tweeted. Which I probably should. Yeah. Well, their content's great. But Johnny tweeted at them that he was ready to go on their show. And I'm like, Johnny, why don't you tweet it from the hill and you come on our show? Well, we have some exciting news that he may want to jump in on. Uh-huh. We, uh, we might be teasing something there for you guys. But I had a question to ask you about Twitter. I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm not really into Twitter that much. I used to be into it. I have an account, but I don't go on it. Who, who else do you tweet besides Johnny Manziel? Uh, I tweet at a lot of different people. I like to retweet a lot of stuff that I see that's funny or interesting. Just, what, just to be the first to break the news to your friends? Yeah, yeah. You know, if you look at my Twitter account, uh, it's interesting. I tweet out a lot of drunk music lyrics, too, <laughs> late at night, you know, and I'm alone by myself, you know, uh, all that kind of sad stuff. You beautiful. Know. <laughs> just sappy stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, all that good stuff. Tinder alerts. That's so, true. so who are your like who are your top follows on Twitter? Like, who are your favorite people? You see something, you're like, oh yeah, I got it. So Johnny's up there. Um, <laughs> you know who's a good follow on Twitter is Jose Canseco because he is out of his. He mind. doesn't care, dude. He just came out with something yesterday. He's a psychopath. Is he sick or something? I, I don't know, man. He no, he always says that he's got some kind of condition. Like dude, he's a psychopath. I highly recommend following him on Twitter. Yeah. Another guy who's a great follow, actually, Cahill hates it, is Kurt Schilling. Oh, I love I love Kurt Schilling. Dude, man. he's a great follow on Twitter. Kurt Schilling's got to be in the Hall of Fame. A different different discussion. Different we'll discussion. Do that, we'll for do that day. later. Down I'm the sure road. we'll Once get into that. Weather one. gets a little bit. Warm. We'll have Bobby on for that one. All right. So my my last question about Twitter, because I don't know, I want to get back into it. Who are your the few unknown people that are underrated in Twitter that people Ooh, don't know about? I got you. All right. So I got a good one for you. So there's a singer. Um, and she was made famous by Justin Bieber. Her name is Madison Beer, uh, and she has a song that I really, really love. It's called Dead. She's a great follow on Twitter. Uh, she's quite attractive, I'll young lady. Quite, quite attractive. Oh, that, <laughs> that's why she's no, a I, she's, I like her music. So um, she's yeah. a little under the radar. But check it out, Madison and Beer. Music is a euphemism. It, no, no, I'm serious. All right, I all like right. the song. All right, maybe I'll tweet out those lyrics all drunk. All right, man. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's what I wanted to know about Twitter. Yeah, I got you. Get our Twitter so info out of the way. If you guys heard the opening song, you know, Nick, because of the, the spirit of the city, really wanted to open with Meek Mill's Dreams and Nightmares. But I said, we can't do that because DJ Jason Weiss would absolutely hate me. <laughs> and given the fact that today's From the Hill is brought to you by Double Down Entertainment, by the way, check them out on Facebook, Double Down Entertainment. They're all over social media. They will take care of you for any and all of your venues, weddings, parties, bar mitzvahs, the premier entertainment provider in Philadelphia. Where can uh, where can you go see him? Well, so so DJ, so Jay does a lot of Nota Philly, right? Last summer he was at the White Briar. Um, go check out their website. He's got everything up for their venues. Uh, he's got a big roster of guys. Montone, I mean, they're huge. They're literally the, the White Briar is the place to be. Out, of out course, there. number one entertainment provider in Philadelphia. Double All Down right. Entertainment. Check awesome. them out. Love it. 
So let's hop right in. Super Bowl 52 talk. Um, before we get into the actual talk, we need to discuss last week's picks. What the Super Bowl is all about. Let me tell you something. If you didn't tune into From the Hill last week, you missed out on a lot of money. Hey, Prof, why don't you tell the folks listening about how our From the Hill picks went last week for the Super Bowl? Well, I know we had everybody had the Eagles, right? That's so right. So we went three and zero on the Eagles. Uh, Swags gave you an ML Eagles. That's four and zero. Yeah, Swags was all over that. Um, and then we had a special guest. That's right, J Bone, J Bone himself, and uh, Jared. Jared did did pretty well. He went an eleven and one. Jared done poured up on his prop, and picks. I'm sure he'll want to call in and remind everybody about it. Eleven and one. So actually, Prof, great straight man as always. So what we want to do coming into the the season here, the betting season for college basketball and basketball, Jared is our sharp guy. As you heard from him last week, he's all over everything. He gives you every piece of sharp information that you need to combine that with the profit system. This show is going to be like the ultimate follow for you betters. But here's the problem we have. I'm Swaggy, the king, right? Million nicknames. We got the prophet. We don't have a nickname for Jared. So we're but gonna, we will. We will. And here's how we're going to get one. We're going to throw it out to the people, all the From the Hill listeners. We need you. Tweet, tweet me. Tweet at me. <laughs> Send me a message on social media. Text into the show. We need a nickname for Jared. You know, something like Jared the Greek. Jared the, the Sharp, right? Jared the Shark, something. Jared Fish Sticks. Yeah. <laughs> something to go with the betting edge. Jared so the, the best the best tweeter or, or participant in the contest that gets the nickname Jared for his segments on the show, and we'll hook you up with some FTH swag. All right, so you'll notice, you'll notice, right? So Jared goes 11-1 and one when Prof doesn't make picks. How much did Prof picks get under Jared's skin this year? And do you think that it threw him off his game? Well, I mean, how much better could his game be if he went 11 and 1? I know, but I'm saying throughout the the year, particularly college football because I was so obnoxious in college football this year. You were quite obnoxious. How obnoxious. But was I? well, let's send in texts out like mass text messages. These are my picks. Well, you know, the thing is, when you guys did a head-to-head contest for the 10 games, neither one of you really did nah, very well. Nah. We were we were dead even. You both went 5 and 5 and yeah. you won them on points. That's a technicality. Yeah, you take them where you can get them, right? Yeah, we'll have the bat reveal for that from J. Rod <laughs> when he comes back on. No, I I was so obnoxious. I would throw out these like uh, I would throw out my feels and my leans, and then my actual picks. Like two minutes before game time, got under everybody's skin. And but so Nick just I'll brought up a good to, point to there. As, so as much as season betters, right? If there's one thing you hate, <laughs> it's when somebody sends out picks, but they don't take the actual games, and oh, then they stop. they I tell you. <laughs> They bank. tell you afterwards that they got all the wins, and but then you find out they didn't bet every game. Oh, boy, they get on your skin real quick. Yeah, I, I made a lot of people angry. All right, so... John, Jared Fish Sticks. Yeah, <laughs> that, that won't win, trust me, J-Rod. So, real quick, before we get into the Super Bowl stuff, a couple birthday shout-outs, Prof. Yeah, it's our main man, Anton Sion's birthday. Sione, happy, happy birthday. birthday. I got another one, so speaking of Gioni. the Greek... Jimmy the Greek, Sarge, happy birthday yesterday to you. Yeah, I would have I got some birthday music, but Jack just told me it's your birthday. So happy birthday to you guys. Appreciate you listening. Keep subscribing. Keep subscribing. Keep comments, comments coming, nicknames, bets, whatever. You got it, buddy. <laughs> All right, so Super Bowl. So here we go. We're gonna do we're gonna do a little special, little special start to the Super Bowl here, because uh, this is pretty cool. 
What do we have here, Jack? We're gonna go. We're gonna go with the. Give me the theme. Give me the music. Oh. Here we go. <laughs> An original from the Hill production. What if I told you? What if I told you that Tom Brady throws for 500 yards, but the Eagles win the Super Bowl? And prof, Gronk. prof, what do you think about this? If I told you before the game, right, all jokes aside now from that, if I told you before the game that Brady goes for 500, do you see any chance the Eagles win that game? No, no, absolutely not. No, and you know what? It's, it's crazy because in a lifetime that just drips greatness, on the highest stage, Brady plays his greatest game. Sets right? a passing record. Sets passing records for all NFL playoff history. And they still they still go down. Yeah, so we'll give you the stat line here from from the Patriots, two standouts. Um, Brady goes twenty eight of forty eight, five oh five, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Unreal. Like unreal. To to throw for five hundred plus yards in the Super Bowl when you know, they have a lot they have a lot of issues going on in New England. Like they were definitely the favorite, but they weren't the the Patriots of old. But for him to come out and have that kind of game without Edelman and without like his main his main guys there, and in the first half, if you look at Gronk's first half, if you said Gronk will have what did he have one so catch Gronk, for like six yards or something like that? Yep. You said that at the beginning of the game, and you said Brady's going to finish with five hundred five yards. I'm like, who's he going to throw it to? And then Gronk eight in the second half. Yeah. He comes out the, the the first drive of the second half. I feel like it was every play to Gronk. They're just like, you know what? Let's go to the big man. Gronk finishes the game 9 for 16, two touchdowns. The polar bear himself, again, unstoppable, but still the Eagles win. Right, so let me ask you a question about that. So does do you think that that was by design on Belichick's part? 100%. Like, do you think he, he opened the game and said, let's slow play Gronk. We're not going to get him the ball in the first half. Let him think that we, you know, they have him in check, that he's under control, and then second half – it's going to go gronk, 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 gronk. Because when they came out in the third quarter, it was like you couldn't stop him. He was wide open, number one. They, they, he did slow play it. I think Belichick slow played to say we're not even looking his way. But the adjustments were made. I, so, it, no, you hit the nail on the head, actually. We talked about it last week, right? Like, New England doesn't like to show you their whole hand in the first half. And so, you know, they left Gronk in a lot of extra protection schemes and short routes and didn't look his way. And then, as we just mentioned, they come out in the second half, and every single play I felt like was Gronk. Gronk. And it was chunks, 15, 16, 18. He just completely dominates that drive. So now you go back from him nothing to him on the first drive, and you got that defense on its heels like, oh, God, we can't let Gronk go for 20 catches and 800 yards, yeah. right? Yeah, and they started focusing on him a little bit more, uh, which opened up some other things for Brady. And that's where you get to, to 505. But, um, yeah, it was, it was really uh, a good play on the part of Belichick. But at the same time, you could not – ask for a better coaching performance from Peterson. Yeah. I mean, so let's, we're, we're going to flip the script here. Um, let's talk about big Dick Nick. Oh boy. He went with it. You know it. Yeah. The, the only thing that we absolutely know for sure still about Nick Foles is that the guy has no pulse. He does like, he's just cool. Like he doesn't care about anything. Nothing seems to bother him. He's just, he's not even, he shows no emotion. As cool as the other side of the pillow. It's, and it's really, uh, it's really awesome the way that they went. Like if you saw the sound effects thing and the, the NFL films, 
where he even in the huddle and on that fourth and one, um, you know, on the the Philly special play, he's just. Yeah, dude, let's let's run this this play we've yeah, never so, run before. So if you guys haven't seen it yet, it's everywhere on YouTube. So the play that the, the Eagles run on fourth down, they call timeout, and Foles comes over to talk to Peterson, and Nikki just goes, Philly, Philly, let's do it. And Dougie P hesitates for a half a second. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Philly yeah, special. Hey, why not? Let's do it. When else are we going to be here? And and they run the play to take you back. So Foles comes up to the line, right? He, he gets over center. They have Clement come in motion. Right, and he comes down right next to Nick on his left now, and Foles goes, "Oh, ki- cut, cut, kill, kill, kill!" And he runs up to the line, lane, 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 and then they snap direct to Clement. Right, Nick rolls out to the right into the corner of the end zone, and Trey Burton comes around on a reverse behind Clement, gets the pitch, and then forward passes to Nicky Foles for the touchdown. And even like to speak to the coaching side of that, just the two players that were involved prior to Foles getting the ball, were just very unassuming names. Trey Burton, uh, Corey Clement, just very unassuming guys where you're not necessarily thinking a play is designed for these guys where they're, you know, in that type of situation. Because Clement's a rookie. Burton, he's our third-string tight end. Nobody thinks he's going to be throwing the ball. Come to find out he was a a quarterback in high school, maybe part of college a little bit. And he, I mean, it was probably the easiest throw in history. But given the situation, yeah, that's a lot of trust to put in your third Absolutely. string tight end, and that's what makes it such a great play design, right? Because of those specific pieces that you use. There's so many moving parts to it. The the flip from Clement, if you saw it, he just kind of floats it up there. <laughs> it was kind of a scary thing when you watch it in slow motion. It's like, how how do they have the balls to call that in that situation? There's that ball's floating all over the place. There's Nick in the end zone with not a single person within 15 yards of him unbelievable it'll go down as one of the best play calls in Super Bowl history Collinsworth said it uh on the air I know everybody was really happy with the way Collinsworth <laughs> called that game I don't really find a problem problem with the way boy Collinsworth down, really but, upped his reputation in Philly with that Super Bowl call didn't he yeah I mean it, he was uh it, the broadcast was weird I didn't really like it that much but I wasn't as offended as everybody else was but some of the cooler ones came from the radio if you heard yeah. the Kevin Harlan one and the Merle Reese, the Merle one. Reese one was great um so, yeah, check those out if you want to get some goosebumps. Um, but, yeah, Nick Foles, just unassuming, would have never thought it would come from him in that situation, uh, that he would just have ice in his veins um, and just come out with that, with that play. That was his idea to let's run the ballsiest play in Super Bowl history from the one. And so Nick brings up a point that we talked about last week, and actually we've talked about this a lot on From the Hill, and it proves – how ironclad Doug Peterson's will is and the fact that he stuck with his game plan. What we talked about on many shows past in big games where coaches end up turtling up against legendary coaches and they get away from what they've done all year. What the Eagles have done all year is go for it on fourth down, go for the two-point conversions, take those chances, take those risks, and keep the pedal to the metal. And Doug did what he did all year. He didn't change. He didn't settle for the field goal. Actually, speaking of Merrill, I listened to that play again today, and I heard Merrill, you know, Mike, I don't know here. I think I'd probably take the three. I love Doug's aggressiveness, but I think I might take the three here. I'd be more comfortable getting the three. I I liked going for it there. Uh, The one that I said to, to punt on was the one at midfield when it was uh, fourth and one, the throw to Ertz, that was the one I was like, this isn't the right play. This isn't the right play. It was one of those no, 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 yes, yes moments. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but again, back to our point. With 
the Eagles have done just, all year. That's yeah. been Doug's philosophy all year, and I love that he didn't change it. I love he didn't get scared of the moment. He, why would it be different that this is the Super Bowl versus what they've done all year? Right. You stick with what got you there, and he did it consistently throughout the game. And it's a, it's a lot easier said than done because media before that and said, you know, before the game and said, we're going to stay aggressive. He, he said it. I mean, I heard Sal Palantonio uh, probably on three, four different broadcasts say the same thing. He talked to, he talked about uh, the way his dad taught him to coach and how being aggressive was part of that, and he wasn't going to shy away from it. And when you when you hear that before the game, you think, okay, let's see when the when the cards are on the table, you know, what you're gonna, what kind of decisions you're gonna make, and. Uh, I mean, he, he held to his he word. He held to his sure. word. It was, uh, it was remarkable. So, yeah, so well, let's talk about our keys to the game that we talked about last week. And when, when I look down at the offensive performances versus the defense, we talked about Brady and the prolific pass game, but the Patriots really were non-existent on the ground. But on the flip side, the Eagles had, again, another great day on the ground. Their backs contributing for over 150 total. Uh, LeGarrette Blunt. Went for, I believe, 80 yards or more with a touchdown. Yeah, and we, we talked about how they had to, to spread it out um, and how they had to mix in a little bit of both. Um, again, you didn't know if we're going to come out firing you know, in the past game because we weren't sure if Minnesota game Nick Foles was going to come out, and he definitely did. So I was, I was thrilled with the way that they mixed it up the way the everybody was into the game, everybody was fired up. It's that kind of adrenaline that you felt from these guys that a lot of teams passed that had maybe more talent than than this team. Um, you you felt you felt that emotion. I mean, and to come out and give you the greatest Super Bowl game. I mean, I think it's top three. Last year's was really good, but I was far more invested in this one. The offensive performances were amazing. And to Nick's point about the team and being fired up in the adrenaline, you saw there's a bunch of clips of Malcolm Jenkins on the sidelines when they score on the Philly special, and he goes, they ran it now. They ran it in the Super Bowl. Yo, that's our O. That's our O. Like, these guys, they feed off of each other, and that's that's confidence in the defense, too, to even take that chance there, right? You know, yeah. our offense is going to be aggressive because we believe in the defense. So uh, total team effort all the way around. Peterson, great job. And, Going and back to – Talk about next-level – coaching so there was a report that came out that they actually ran a fake walkthrough because they were worried that patriots were gonna cheat were like spying on them yep um, they didn't so see that one coming did they, they? Did, they did the fake walkthrough probably i don't know if there were spies out there probably threw them off a little bit and then they did they ran that philly special from what i heard in a hotel ballroom that's fantastic like three or four times that's so fantastic and i think the first time they ran it um Burton overthrew or threw it behind Foles, and they were just like, okay, it's in the arsenal now. We got it. And it was executed. He knew it would be on the money during, during game time. Perfectly. So Nick Foles ends up winning the MVP. I'll give you his stat line. Foles is 28 of 43, 373, three touchdowns, one or four total touchdowns, three passing, one receiving. He had an interception, but really it wasn't his fault. No. Actually, that was almost a hell of a catch by yeah. Alshon Jeffrey. He reaches back with one hand, catches the ball. The defender reaches up, knocks it away, and the ball would have fallen to the ground. But unfortunately, as Jeffrey's falling, his left arm hits the ball again and knocks it back up in the air. So the Patriots safety Jeffrey can makes get it. that catch. You think he's he sneaks in MVP? He might have. That was that, a, he had a great game. He had a great game, and that would have been a hell of a catch. Yep. That would have been a hell of a catch. So that, I don't put that interception on full. So again, almost the perfect stat line and Nikki wins the MVP, and the Eagles get their first Super Bowl championship. Yep. So real quick, 
there was a couple controversial calls in the game that everybody was bitching about. We're going to talk about the catch rule, huh? Real quick. Let's, real quick. No, let's do it. it. I think it's important. Because I think everybody in Philadelphia would agree that the Ertz touchdown was legit. I mean, there were so many things that came out on social media, on Facebook, and it was like, well, this happened to the Steelers. It was the same thing. It's not. It wasn't even close to the same thing. It wasn't the same as the Jesse James play. What I did hear a lot of, um, and I've talked about this in the past, was that it was much more akin to the Des Bryant play where he okay. reaches for the goal line. And I agree with that comparison. The Jesse James play, I don't, only because of the amount of steps and moves steps. that he took. Yeah, I mean, he totally took agree. three steps. Yep, I agree. And, and lunged. I agree. That's and a runner. So it became very akin to the Des Bryant play, but I've been on record the in, for the history of From the Hill and saying that the Des Bryant play was clearly a catch as well because when you possess the ball, you make two football moves, and then you reach out for the goal line. By rule, there shouldn't be no completing the catch to the ground. Why? If you're a runner, which you have become now at that point, as soon as you reach out and the ball breaks the plane, it's a touchdown. What right. happens after that's irrelevant. Right. No, I agree with you. The one, the Clement one, I would, I could have gone either way. So if they okay. called that back, I, I would have said, okay, let's I break got you. down the because Clement one. I said that as it was happening. I yes. said they're calling that back. All right, let's break that down and what happens here. So initially, the reason that the play is so controversial is because initially. He makes what appears to be a clean catch, and his right leg is down. But now, as he's putting his left leg down, the ball seems to move a little bit. As it if kind he, of floats. Right, as if he doesn't have possession of it. So then his left foot becomes the second. But at that point, if he doesn't have total possession, his right foot is the third step he takes, and that does creep into the back of the end zone line a little bit. So if you were considering that his second step, it would have been incomplete. What they call on the field was that it was clean at the first step, so he got two in and it's a touchdown. So as they're reviewing it, I think they, they said call on the field stands, right? They didn't say confirmed, They didn't, and obviously they didn't overturn it. So yeah. I think what ended up happening is there wasn't conclusive enough evidence to prove that he didn't possess it at the first touch right. to overturn. And I think catch or no catch, this kind of solidifies that there's, this is going to be a main topic of conversation and the meetings that are coming up in the offseason. And this rule, I think you're going to see some changes to the rule. Thank God, because it's getting it's getting so – Terrible. It's getting terrible to watch. It slows the game down, and when they look at why they're losing viewership and stuff like that, you know, I don't know if you can necessarily uh, tie it to how long these challenges take, but it is significant. They're they're going to challenges a lot, always. And, and we're I'll looking tell you, at the super slowest motion replay, and you still can't tell. At, at some point, you got to say, what 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 else? Can how many here? rants has your boy been on about how super slow mo changes the way a play actually looks versus how it happened real time? Yeah, you know, because when you look at things in a split frame second, you can actually almost any catch put a point where the ball actually won't touch the player anymore, even if he's in like an arm transition or something like yeah. that. But when you watched it real time, it was an athletic football move as you're transferring arms, aka the one that really ticked me off this year, the Kelvin Benjamin catch mm -hmm. that they overturned, again, against the Patriots, where because he's transferring arms so he doesn't fall on the ball, and why is he doing that, taking a half step back? He's transferring arms to not fall on the ball because you need to complete the catch to the ground. Right, so, so he doesn't want to fall on the ball so and have it move. For me to throw this pen and catch it... And completely drop it um, 
that's I'm controlling it. I'm moving the ball from one place to another. That's so right. I'm controlling it. Right. And and if, the, if it was like loose, like I like I just dropped it on my shoulder. That's correct. That's when you don't have. Control but when it. you're transferring between arms, there can be a point where you're not touching it. But again, at that point of the Calvin Benjamin, he's going to fall on his right side. He needs to get the ball in his left hand because if he falls on the ball, even with two steps down and the ground knocks it out, then that's not completing the catch to the ground and it's incomplete. Okay. So he's making an athletic football move. But when you go in super slow-mo, break it down, you actually ruin the true speed of the play and the athleticism that happened there. And now it looks incomplete. Agreed. Yep. We, so, I think ultimately right. what we all want is... Let's just figure out what a catch is. Yeah, and it's it, they're going to come to some kind of conclusion in the offseason. But, all right, let's move on from that since my example just completely backfired and I dropped <laughs> my pen. Um, Good hands, Nikki. So, moving to, moving to the – speaking of hands, right, the handshake. Uh, the handshake yeah, yep. that never was. Yep, yep. So, the Patriots Circus <laughs> was how I had this titled. Like, it, it, it's in town. Like, if we had some circus music behind us ready, we Right. So, after the game <laughs> – Brady doesn't shake Foles' hand, right? And it sort of has become a really big deal. Uh, I want to, Prof, let me start with you. How, the how next you, 30 for 30. <laughs> the handshake that never was. What if I told you <laughs> that Tom Brady's hand did not shake? All right. Um, so, yeah, Prof, start with you. How did you feel about it? How did you feel about Brady not shaking his hand? Who, care? Who cares? You know what? Part of, part, we talk about Brady all the time as the best competitor ever, and I, I kind of – reference this in an earlier show is to get to be the best ever there's a competitive edge that you have to have over you know somebody of a lesser talent level and Peyton Manning's done it I think Drew Brees has done it Brady just did it like when when you when you're that competitive and you come off the field after a devastating loss like that you're not thinking clearly so for me to for me to sit there and, and be in your head and think what you're thinking. I can't do that. And I don't really, I really don't think that Nick Foles gives a crap that Tom Brady didn't come over and say, you know, hello and great game to him. You know, he put out an Instagram post yesterday or two days ago that was directed to Foles. That was, a, it was almost like an apology. We get caught up in these stupid things and people try to make a story out of nothing. This is all that is. So I, I actually, we're, we're agreeing too much. We're supposed to disagree, you know, so we argue. Actually, I totally agree with you, Nick, and I, I want to take it to your point even further. Look, you're putting a microphone in these guys' faces, these professional athletes, the best athletes in the world, after the biggest games of their lives, and they just lost, and, and the, the letdown, the disappointment, the sadness, the tears, it's all there. And if they don't react exactly how you would expect them to, a.k.a. perfect gentlemen, I don't think that's an issue. I mean, I went back to the Cam Newton incident uh, two years ago against the Broncos where, you know, he's at the podium and he's clearly kind of ticked and he was getting akin to being like a petulant child well, at so the podium. Cam Newton's a little bit different because well, he does that. He does that on a random Tuesday. But you know what? You know what? I don't have a problem with it. And I'll tell you why. Because we two reasons. So first, I don't have a problem with somebody being like that after a loss or being upset even on a Tuesday or Wednesday after a loss, because you know what? These guys are ultimate competitors and they're ticked. And you know what? If you put a microphone in my face after losing some kind of championship game like that, I'll probably be the same way. Yeah. So we're talking about the championship game. But when Cam does it after practice on Tuesday, Wednesday, that I have more of a problem with because he's 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 basically hindering people from doing their job. The, these guys are reporters. They have a job to do. He knows that. That's why he's required to be there. But the flip side of that is, right, and where I wanted to go with it is, listen, 
we always say we want these guys to act true to their nature and how they feel, right? We don't want the Russell Wilson interviews that are always perfect and the guys always, oh, yeah, you know, doesn't tell you anything. We want these guys to show their emotions, but yet when Cam shows his emotions, how he's feeling, if he's pissed, if he's disappointed, if he's upset, we blow him up for, you know, not being a professional. I don't, I think that's a double standard. If he doesn't want to talk to you and he's pissed off, he lets you know about it. Whereas Russell Wilson will give you nothing ever because he's not a human, right? Uh-huh. He's, he's a, a pre programmed robot but, they assembled at NFL Films out of spare quarterbacks. Is there a middle ground, though? I mean, there has to be a middle ground where you can't just be a a jerk all the time. Sure. And you know, we've seen Cam go over the top, over the top the other way. He's he's like, he's one extreme to the other where he's just goofing off too much. Like he's, and that's what makes him seem not real. He almost has a little bit. I. I reference McNabb in every show, but he has a little McNabb in him that way. You know, I love Donnie. Where he just says like goofy stuff to just try to be like cool. It comes off as phony. No, I'm with you. So I don't know. I I I love Cam as a as a player, um, but I, I think he's got some mental things to work on. But well, the thing if that's that, what makes him a good athlete. So be it. The thing that's been mentioned with Cam before is maturity. But as I said, I'm a big Cam fan, and I support even the off the field stuff because I, I, you know, I put myself in that situation. Um, yeah, you know, being six five and two hundred eight, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and I Run just like a deer. Yeah, yeah, a laser rocket arm. <laughs> um, and but I just think like you know, it's not that easy to always be. A hundred percent positive, and and give that that professional that feel Boy all the time. Answer, yeah. and like you know Nick Foles and, and and Russell Wilson and, and Jimmy Grapp and Jimmy Grapp. How about Jimmy Grapp? Jimmy Grapp. How about him? Yeah, so highest paid player, highest paid player in the NFL now. Um, we you know this is we've been talking about this for the last couple of days. It's just kind of one of those things, right? When you get in the cycle of next up, right? We talked about Kirk Cousins last week. He's going to get a big deal. You know, these guys that are cycling up to their deals being up. They're going to get much more than the guys who already signed deals, and it's just kind of the way it works. Yeah, well, and you're comparing Kirk, Kirk Cousins to, to Jimmy Gropp. So I like the Gropp signing because I see a lot out of him. I, he can run. He can throw. He's like a – is he a Rodgers-esque to you? Who, who would you compare him to? I wouldn't go Rodgers yet only because of how great Rodgers is. No, I, I But in terms of the way Miles played is, seven games. Yeah, the way, the way that he plays. Um, yeah, I mean, he's got some Rodgers I'm in him. I'm just saying athleticism and, and arm strength and um, – he did a, I mean, he did a lot with the 49ers with nobody on the team. I agree. I mean, he, he looked good In last year. Games. To, to get to finish the season the way he did with that team, I thought was very impressive. Um, you know, the big talk with him is he's kind of going out on a limb with him because we saw a little bit of him in New England and then a small sample size in San Francisco. But, look, they think he's the guy of the future. I tend to agree, and I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm good with the signing, too. I don't know. I don't know if he's um, – the highest paid player in the league worthy, but uh, they obviously see enough in him and they've seen enough in him in the seven games last, last season. I like him. I like the signing. I think it gives them that that's the, that's the key piece. I mean, it's the most important position in sports. If you can find your guy and you're willing to risk it to, to, to solidify that, go for it. I, I, I like it. I agree. I'm, I'm okay with it. And his, uh, by the way, his reign as highest paid player in the league won't last long. No, it's, it's, <laughs> that'll be, that'll be coming up somebody soon to take yeah. that probably like next week. So let, let's, let's continue with the Patriots circus, right? So we yeah. start with both of their coordinators. Let's start with the straightforward one, which actually I think was kind of cool. Um, their defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia got announced after the game as the new head coach of the Lions, yeah. right? We all knew it was coming. Cool thing about it, right? He had the, uh, the crazy beard going on, right? Yeah, all yeah. the time. And then he shows up at the press conference all nice and groomed and he got rid of it. So I thought that I was kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. He showed up. 
beard gone. Very no beard. No beard. He looked, oh, dude, dude, that's a bad move. Right? So he, yeah, well, it's like a new chapter. You know, he no, was there in New England. That's a bad move. Now he's coming in. He's Talk cleaning up. Talk about staying up. true to yourself. That's what. You, that's actually written as one of, one, of, one of my questions. Does he keep the beard and the backwards no, hat? No, it's and, gone. And the pencil? No, it's gone. Well, he might do the hat and pencil when he coaches, but he showed up very clean cut. All, all nice and ready to go for the line. Uh, that's a bad start for so you, Matt. So the big thing that's come up about him, though, now is, de- I mean, th- that defense had a horrible performance. In the Super Bowl. Nah, like, does that, yeah, does that weigh what? in your confidence in him? No, nah, he's he's been there for a long time. And just to have a couple bad performances um, in a season that they lost some of their, their top defensive players, I don't, I don't hold that against him. I think he's a good enough coach. And obviously he's learned for many years in a system – you know, with the hierarchy of Belichick, how to run the system. I think Belichick gets involved with that sort of thing and tries to to teach that, to groom his coaching tree to move on. I mean, it hasn't panned out, obviously, with the guy that we're going to get into next here. But I think he's definitely earned his shot. Now, the question is, you know, with the Lions set up where they are, does it even matter? Well, right. And and here's the thing that I wanted to ask you, right? Because remember, Bill Belichick at his core is a defensive coach, right? So do you think that Patricia may be getting a little too much credit for the success that the Patriots have had, given the fact that he's sort of just the overseer and really it's Belichick's defense? That's an, an impossible question for me to ask because or answer because I'm not in those meetings. But you have to think – He's sitting in there learning from from all this, and he's been in he's been with them for how long? Yeah, he's been there a while. It's got to be ten years, right? Close to it, I think. So if you're not absorbing it in ten years, we're going to find out really quick. Um, you know, the lines the lines aren't really a team of the future to me. The weird thing about the Lions, right, is when you look at that team, they always seem to have a ton of talent, like skill position guys. Remember, they drafted receivers 10 years in a row in the first round. Um, Matthew Stafford's one of the highest paid quarterbacks I don't, in the I don't believe in Stafford. Well, that's that's the problem. You know, Colin Cowherd would say that Stafford's not a true leader because he wears his hat backwards. You ever seen that that theory no. from Cowherd? Yeah. Well, now they, you know, two backwards hats make a right. Yeah. <laughs> so Maybe Patricia will make him turn his hat around the right way. Yeah, you know, and when you look at, like, these guys that come out, like Romeo Cornell and, and McDaniels, um, look what they take over. Now, the McDaniels thing, he— You, you want to get into the McDaniels thing? Yeah, we, yeah, yeah let's, let's get talk, into the let's, McDaniels Let's talk about what happened But to week. go back to Denver, to go back to his time at Denver, sure. the drafting of Tim, Tim Tebow was— That was, was that ended his career Right, that was—he hung himself there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's those, it's those type of moves. It's not necessarily— um, your job, the job you're doing as a coach, I don't think, because when when you make personnel um, decisions that don't go well, then that's on you. Sure. But if if you don't have the talent in the room to do it, you gotta let it develop a little bit. I think a lot of times in the NFL nowadays, it's like one and done. Yeah. Well, you get like a year, two years, and then if you don't turn it around that quickly. You're, you're asked. Like, yeah, fast. so the problem is, right, If in a perfect example of that, let's, let's say, like, the Arizona Cardinals, right? They, they're they a team, you know, Bruce Arians retired, um, and they're a team where they bring in a new head coach, and they're expected to compete if they go out and get, let's say they get Kirk Cousins. That team's going to be expected to compete right away because they have a great defense and they've still got some weapons on offense. Right. So that coach may not have more than two years to get in the playoffs, and if he doesn't, he's out. Is that a really true test of if he's a good coach or not? I don't know. It's hard to say, but to your point, that that's where the league's going, right? Well, yeah, they're just looking. They're looking for a quick turnaround. And I get it because uh, money's on the line. But 
you know, I give I give Patricia three years just to show what he's got. Let him get some drafts under his belt. That's that's the biggest part. The of it. Lions are in a tough division, man. They got Minnesota and Green Bay. Well, um, it'll be interesting to see what Minnesota does at quarterback next year. Obviously, Rodgers will be back, but that team without Rodgers, man. Yeah, they, you can you can see that there's not much there many, other than Rodgers. Many a talk with our FTH contributor Tom Nugent in Wisconsin about that Green Bay team, and uh, I know he's hopeful for the future. It looks like they're going to be aggressive in free agency. Um, but again, we talked about this before, the fact that how exposed that team got for how important Rodgers really is. I mean, he's the whole team because when he's not there, they're atrocious. Right, and you saw what other teams can do with replacement quarterbacks. Right. Obviously, this was the year for that. Yeah, and it um, was a shining example of how dependent that team is on Rodgers. And right. obviously, we understand how great Aaron Rodgers is, of course. Definitely. So um, to get into McDaniels. Yeah, bizarre move. So <laughs> McDaniels, at the 11th hour here, it seemed, he'd agreed in principle to become the Colts' head coach, uh, even to go as far as they started bringing in his coaching package, right? Like his assistants and things were getting hired there already. And it looks like at the, like I said, the 11th hour, the Patriots bring him back in and Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick convince him to stay in New England. Essentially, the package that they offered him was more compensation and he's now going to be Bill Belichick's legit son. His, <laughs> he's gonna, he is going to be he the Belichick just adopted McDaniels to keep him in New England no but in all seriousness he's actually going to be like his true apprentice his understudy Belichick's going to bring him into not only just the coaching moves and the strategic the strategic things that he does that way but the personnel decisions personnel as well. decisions drafts right contract negotiations McDaniels is going to be there for all of it which is an important side of the coaching coaching thing absolutely uh, you know you get certain amounts of exposure to it but that opens the door for a whole new aspect of the job that you probably didn't account for going into that's right for him going into Indy you probably didn't account for that and if you're McDaniels and you're looking at the flip side of that you get to be Belichick's understudy Bill is not a spring chicken how many years does he have left in New England you can see the easy straight ties to be grooming McDaniels to take over as the Patriots head coach in a couple years so if if he takes over Indy first of all are you 100% in on Andrew Luck yes you are I am 100% in on Andrew Luck okay I when we talked about um and something we'll get into when we break down quarterbacks I don't want to give it all away but I'm extremely extremely high on Andrew Luck all right so do the Colts have any shot whatsoever this year with Luck in the lineup shot to do what clarify for me make the playoffs yeah make yes the playoff uh, run. They're, they're the make a run in the playoffs the a yes because the AFC's weak and Andrew Luck their division's extremely weak Andrew Luck would be the second best quarterback in the AFC as soon as he steps on the field. And the Colts could absolutely win the AFC South and get in and get a game against, I don't know, the the Bills in the playoffs in the first round. And if you get a seat at the table and you can win a first round game, you're there. Jags get a quarterback. <laughs> Deshaun Watson comes back. Are we gonna are we gonna rip Blake Bortles? <laughs> yeah, this is this is the show. Are we, Blake are we gonna rip Blake Bortles? Jags get a quarterback. Deshaun Watson comes back. Where does that put them in the division? Yeah, you're yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, Deshaun Watson. So Deshaun it becomes, Watson. It becomes a lot less weak of a division. Okay, but Deshaun. All right. Things all right. Let's talk about each one individually, right? So the, the Jaguars are stacked with talent. Obviously, they made the AFC Championship game despite Blake Bortles. Although, 
again, when we get into talking about quarterbacks, he actually didn't have that bad of a year. But all right, so let's no, say I got, I got it. Yeah, I, you know. And then but you he's got not, he's not a quarterback. He's not a franchise guy. Probably not. And then Sean Watson looked electric for the first half of that year. But remember, there's a sophomore slump coming up for him, and eh. teams are going to get some footage on him. I believe in Deshaun. Bank on that. I think he's going to play well. Um, I, dude, I, I, I'm telling you, I think Andrew Luck is the third or fourth best quarterback in the league right now when he steps on the field. That's he, how good he is. I think he's overrated. I don't. I, I cannot agree with that at all. I think he's overrated just from just from the eye test. I, I don't know. He, he's obviously got talent, he's, but he is. I don't. I don't see them in the playoffs even with him on the field for 16 games. I really don't. Maybe maybe not because you, we talk about the, how weak that division is. There was reasons that that division was weak this year. Watson was out. Uh, Bortles was the quarterback, and Luck was out, and and Luck was out. This changes everything. If all those guys are in place, the defense stays pat in in Jacksonville, and throw Tennessee in the mix. They, they were in the playoffs as well. You know, I was gonna say the and they have a playoff win did put two teams in the playoffs. So so I don't I don't think it's as weak. I, I know it is a consistently weak division, you know, but I don't think it's. I think it's growing. I think it's getting better because you have younger quarterbacks coming in. Well, let's stay in that division real quick because there's. I've talked about Jameis Winston in the past and how I think yep. he's kind of a yep. bust. How about Marcus Mariota? Yeah, I I don't think he's uh, anything special. I'll put it this way: I'm glad we didn't we didn't sell the, chip, the farm to get with Chip. Okay, because I was all in on that. All right, we're gonna save we're gonna save the rest of our quarterback talk for when we're doing our draft breakdown because yeah. we're gonna go through quarterbacks and go through all that. All right, so let's let's move to the Eagles post celebration here. We got we got the post game. And we got the parade. So first, the Super Bowl revelries, as I call them, and this is going to be really short. Everybody thought that the trash city of Philadelphia and its garbage citizens would have, you know, this terrible showing and all this stuff would go down. Nothing really. We had a couple minor incidents. One, they broke the window at a, a Macy's down, you know, on South Street, I believe it was, or in Center City. Was that broken from the the the, or the the awning that collapsed? No, no, no. That was that. So the awning that collapsed was just idiots standing on an awning, and they fell through. There was actually a yeah. guy who's a real jerk in a Vince Papali jersey who like legitimately broke the Macy's window. So okay. that, but that's one bad seed in the group, and you're always going to have that, right? That kind of stupid yeah, yeah. stuff's going to happen everywhere. Yep. Um, you know, everything was pretty straightforward, minus the uh, guy eating the horse shit. <laughs> <laughs> just right into it. Yeah. Yeah, that was a little bit bizarre. I have to say just due to my own stomach issues i did not hit play on that video i i saw the headlines but i and i've heard about it but i did not actually watch that it's pretty bad reasons that you may or may not uh, be it's able pretty to bad. assume but so the the day after the super bowl i, I went into work i had a little hangover going <laughs> but i had to i was on the phone with a guy from boston actually and he he called me and He's like, what's going on in your, what's going on down there? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, is the city's on fire. Like yeah. they're burning the city down. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. The media made it like the city was on fire. Like it was Mad I, Max 2.0. I literally it's, had no idea what he was talking it's about. It's everything that we've talked about on From the Hill about the Philadelphia persona. But I'm here to tell you that it was nothing that bad and there was no carnage. There were no zombie breakouts, none of that stuff, right? It was totally normal, totally fine. Uh, and moving from that into the parade, again, the parade was an incredible celebration. Huge regret that I didn't go to that. Nikki couldn't make it, but I was held down from the hill for us there, and I was I was front and center. Um, the, it was absolutely incredible. Doug Peterson walked right up next to me holding the Lombardi trophy right on the street. 
Um, it was incredible. Doug, Doug P appeared in a lot of Snapchat, uh, Instagram. I, I had thought about it. I had a huge snap story going. Actually, I had a real tall guy in front of me in a in an old Doug Peterson jersey, and it was an original because like the 14 on the back was all worn out. And I was like, dude, that might be the coolest jersey here. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, but I mean, 14, that's a, that was Dougie P's number when he played here. He 14. Was a niner. Yeah, he was coming in for a niner. I thought he was a niner. I thought Detmer. Ty Detmer was a 14er. So Corey Detmer. Uh, also, big shout out. So friends of mine, uh, Mark Cunningham, Dave Costabal, those guys, they had the sign up, and it was awesome. Barstool threw it up of they had the sign. 33 years, two championships, and then a little eagle in Philly. And that was akin to the McGillicuddy kid up in Boston who did the the sign. And I don't, I'm going to butcher it because I don't have it in front of me, but it was like 13 years, eight seasons, and had all the Boston championships in there. So really trolled Boston some more. So A1 job, boys. Great job getting Very that done work. for the Very city. Good work. There, were, there was a lot of cool stuff down there. And, you know, I saw the report yesterday. And I, cu- I couldn't believe this because just from the views that I got, but the uh, – this, the report said 700,000 people. I could not. Oh, yeah. Somebody somebody needs to lose their job over this one. So I couldn't. They estimated 700,000 people. And I was like, what? On the first block? I mean, it, it was literally more. Well, and the, the range that they give you with their stupid estimates, they went from 700,000 all the way up to 5 million. There wasn't 5 million people there. I'm telling it was a, like somewhere in the middle, 2.5, somewhere yeah. around there. Um, yeah, it was. It was kind of confusing, but everybody I knew was down there. I was sat at work all day listening to it on the radio, just like crying in my hands. I was so upset I didn't, I wasn't able to go. But hopefully, there's another one around the corner. Carson, if you're listening, bring a couple more so I can hit a parade once in my life. Yep. So we are short on time, so we're gonna cut out of here. I'm gonna give you quick, quick parade highlights while Nikki wraps this up. So. Kelsey was incredible in the Mummer's outfit. His speech was phenomenal. Check that out. Uh, Lane Johnson is an absolute psychopath. He was awesome. Uh, he, he appeared on the ESPN shows too the next day. Uh, he's a total psychopath, and we love him. He's great. Uh, all the guys were there. A lot of great Nick Foles signs. Uh, I won't go through all of them. We already did one of the monikers. Uh, I know he's a, he's a God-fearing man. But that's it. We're, uh, we're getting out of here from the hill. So remember, guys, if you like the show, Give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Give us a subscribe. By the way, it's free to subscribe. You don't have to pay anything. You just get an email when we got our next content. If you like the show, share the link with your friends and family. Prof, tell them about our upcoming content we got coming in the, the yes. next few shows. So coming coming up in the next few shows, we're going to get into the NBA playoff countdown. It's getting hot. It's getting heated. Got a lot of stuff to get into there with the trades. Uh, we're going to jump into some college basketball. Really haven't touched on that too much, but that's another one. We're going to get into the tournament soon. Pretty exciting. NFL draft stuff. Uh, it's coming quick, up in April. Uh, NFL offseason, and if Jack lets me, we're going to talk some MLB. You know it, but like they say, never talk baseball. We're never leading with baseball again, by the way, Nikki. That's it for the prof. I'm Swags. That's a wrap. From the Hill, cut it. Swags, out. Thanks, guys.